So I heard somebody had a birthday recently. I did. The big 3-3 three, three celebrated on Tuesday, Cinco de Mayo. Which Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday, that's right. Normally, for my birthday, Cinco de Mayo is a great birthday because – no one has any like concrete, like, Oh, I got to hang out with my family on Cinco de Mayo or whatever. You know, there's no like obligation, but everyone's kind of always in like a, a mood to party. It's sure. always like, Oh, you want to get margaritas, celebrate Cinco de Mayo, celebrate you, celebrate your birthday. It's, it's always usually a pretty good sitch. Uh, but last night was not, I mean, just because of, you know, yeah. What did you do? I just went to my mom's for a birthday dinner, which was lovely, but, um, we did not have tacos. I, uh, we had brisket and it was okay, excellent. Um, but it just wasn't the same. And people have had birthdays since coronavirus came out and I knew mine was coming up and it would be around this whole thing too. But uh, it's just as I didn't hang out with any of my friends. I didn't do any. It was just kind of a, a day. They've all just been days. It's just yeah. so weird. Yep, the days just they just sort of blend together, and yeah. there's no meaning to time or space anymore. <laughs> but speaking of tacos, obviously, uh, we picked up a taco of our own. The Chiefs did the ultimate taco, Taco Charlton. Now, hopefully, not taco in the sense of did you ever watch the league? We don't want that kind of. Taco. We don't want a taco on the team. No, we want taco. We want Taco Charlton. We want. We don't want a taco. We want the taco. Do you and know who Taco like Fall taco. is? I is he a basketball he player? He is. He's a gigantic basketball ah, player. Nailed uh, it. Yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, taco Fall is seven foot five inches. So that's you know Yao Ming was seven six. Seven six. Yeah. Uh, Manute Bull was seven seven. So he was. He, they're right there. Taco Fall is one of the largest i think he's a celtic right now maybe but i wonder if he celebrates taco tuesday he probably celebrates taco tuesday every tuesday we had, a, we had <laughs> yeah. a taco friday so it was like a red friday but then also a taco friday yeah now hopefully we can have taco sundays taco sundays taco thursdays taco mondays you never know Welcome in, everybody. It is Taco Wednesday when we're recording this. You'll probably be hearing it on Taco Thursday or Taco Friday, but welcome into It's Always Sunny in Chief's Kingdom. I'm Austin. I'm Taylor. We're back with another exciting episode. Are we are we just going to do a mailbag this episode? Is that what we decided? Or well, we're going to talk about taco? We- the, the people decided to give us 20-something questions in the mailbag, which is great. You know, we love the interaction. So um, we'll, we'll kind of see how we can fit it all in. We do love the interaction. That is a great opportunity to remind you to rate and subscribe and review. We got a one-star review last week because mm. Taylor said Blue Lives Matter on the podcast. <laughs> I think mostly in jest, but yeah. we are going to get back into the Bashar Breland news. Uh, so thank you for that one-star review, whoever you are. Uh, go give us like, I don't know how many five-star reviews we need to cancel that out, but make sure we get those, please, because... We like, uh, you know, people giving us good reviews, saying nice stuff about us so that we can continue to bring you the podcast, all the content, all that kind of good stuff. So we do appreciate that. 
do you want to talk about the Vikings? Are we going to talk about the Vikings this week? Uh, yeah, the Vikings win. We can uh, we can scratch the surface. You know, anytime Pat's not involved, it's yeah, kind of like, I just I can't. Eh, I'm really looking forward to talking about um, everything after the Tennessee game. Those are all going to be recaps that you and I are going to be dying to talk about every down of. But up until then, it's just kind of you know we we said we're going to recap every week. We might as well talk a little bit about a nice win with a backup quarterback yeah we can't um, break with tradition now no we can't but we're probably not going to give it as as much of an in-depth review as we would have had it been a you know full offensive arsenal so we've got the vikings game to recap for you i know we really sold that there Uh, (laughs) yeah i'm sure i know you're you're looking forward to it i can tell uh and then we do have a mailbag we do have quite a few questions this week so we'll just kind of jump into that uh do you want to talk about taco first we riffed on taco the idea of taco the taco tuesday the taco friday uh for those of you that don't have any idea what you're talking about what we're talking about i don't know what you're doing listening to this podcast but last week the chief signed off the scrap heap. He made it through all 32 teams without being claimed on waivers. Taco Charlton, former first round pick of the Dallas Cowboys is now a chief. Yeah. He joins a list of 2017 first rounders that outside of Pat Mahomes kind of uh, fallen on their face a little bit there. There have been a number of fifth year options that have been declined in the first round, which we do have a mailbag question on that. So um, I'll get into that a little bit more later, but, uh, Vedante Taco Charlton was, uh, you know, he was a highly touted prospect for the Cowboys. They ended up parting ways with him. The dolphins picked him up. He didn't really, um, you know, obviously make any waves with the dolphins and then, (laughs) yeah, you know, you know, like to, that was terrible. That was for the people. And then, uh, chiefs picked him up on Friday and, you know, a little depth piece. Yeah, what I like about it is, number one, the Chiefs did need some depth at defensive end. Um, they could use, you know, some other bodies there. Obviously, uh, Emmanuel Ogba uh, went and signed with – who did he sign with? The Lions, maybe? Does that sound right? Or, Reggie uh, or the Dolphins. The, or, the Dolphins. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Dolphins. You're right. Yeah. Yep, you got it. Yep. So yep. he went to the Dolphins. We got Taco back from the Dolphins. But uh, Taco, big-bodied guy, he was actually teammates with Frank Clark at Michigan – and this was the cool thing that I though this is the thing that I thought was cool about it. This is such a perfect Veach value signing because you know the questions aren't really about his physical tools or his ability. It's really more about his effort. And you gotta figure if anybody is gonna get his best effort out of him, it's number one, the Chiefs coaching staff, which obviously we got a lot of guys with a lot of heat. Brendan Daly is a pretty intense guy who seems mm-hmm. to bring it, get the most out of his players. Then you got Frank Clark, who really is obviously one of the two kind of emotional leaders of the defense from a player's standpoint. And when the news broke, he actually he tweeted out a picture of him from uh, with Taco from Michigan and said he's going to be legend. The word he used was yeah. legend. Yeah. Uh, so he promised that. He promised to Frank Clark, promised us legend. So Frank Clark's going to be burning his ass. You know Tyron Matthew, obviously, all the guys we have on the defense that are going to bring the heat he's going to give full effort. So the question is just whether, you know I mean? In a lot of ways, it's really similar, really reminiscent of the Ogba signing another guy who wasn't technically a first round pick because the Patriots forfeited their first round pick that year, yeah. but was the 32nd overall pick, which ordinarily would be a first round pick. And a guy who kind of was a bust in Cleveland. And then he came to Kansas city and really had a very nice year before he got injured. Well, and you got to figure too, from a, from a competitive standpoint, from an effort standpoint, if you're not going to give it on the defending Super Bowl champions, 
you know, like that, if anything would get you juiced for the season, it's going to play with the guys that all just got rings. I mean, that's the, that's what these guys all play football for. That's the whole reason for the season. And if, uh, you know, if Taco, we'll find out pretty quickly. If, if he yeah. doesn't have it, you know, it's no harm, no foul. They'll send him on his way and they'll say, okay, we three NFL teams gave this first rounder a chance and he just doesn't have it. But if he's got anything left in the tank, like you said, great motivator in um, Tyron Matthew on the defense, his old teammate, Frank Clark, he's got Pat, he's got all the reasons in the world to show up. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that depth move. I think that's, you know, if you can get a guy with upside like that, um, I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah. And he's on a one-year deal. So he's, he's playing for a payday, right? Like he, he got cut by the Cowboys. You always hear that. Obviously when a guy gets cut, when you get fired from a job, whatever it is, you know, sometimes that lights a fire in people, but he ended up with the dolphins who claimed him. He didn't really have a choice. Yeah. It's not like he was a free agent. Like he was this time around when he chose to sign with the chiefs, (laughs) you know, he ended up with the dolphins who obviously were pretty moribund franchise last year didn't have the opportunity to go through camp and learn their defense with them. And so, and obviously that was a locker room that just was trading away good players left and right. So I, yeah, I can't imagine true. even after having been cut that that was an environment, maybe most conducive to him giving his full effort level, but now he is, he's, he's looking for, you know, he's obviously still a young guy. He's going to be looking to get paid. You know, Agba made himself a nice little chunk of change with his performance over the first Eight or nine he games. Performed last well. Year, so. I'm, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm, yeah. I feel that loss. That was definitely a um, a guy that I would have liked to have seen the Chiefs keep around. I do remember when the Dolphins picked up Taco. His first game that he played with them was against the Cowboys, and he picked up a sack in that game. So you know he was a little motivated to go get after the team that drafted sure. him and then cut him. And uh, and you know I he's only twenty five. He's got plenty of upside, plenty to prove. It was a it was a shrewd move by Veach. It was another one year deal, which we've talked about every deal so far that they've made uh, until the Pat Mahomes fifteen year deal that they're going to announce tomorrow. Uh, just kidding, but uh, has been a one year deal, which is fun. Yeah, so that's Taco Charlton. As far as player news, we haven't had too much else. We're obviously we're going to talk a little bit more about the Bashad Breland situation. In the mailbag, we talked about Dustin Colquitt and his release from the Chiefs. Other than that, it's been pretty quiet. We are getting the NFL schedule release. That's going to be, by the time you hear this, probably will have already happened. So we'll talk about it on the next episode. We'll probably go through game by game and break that down. That sounds like a pretty good time. So we're looking yeah, forward to that. explain exactly how the Chiefs get to 19-0. Yeah, I mean, it'll be pretty easy, you know, <laughs> when they're just going to win every week. I mean, now you kind of have spoiled it. It's not, it's not going to be as much fun. Oh, now. they know. They already know. Okay. It'll still be fun. <laughs> Want to talk uh, Chiefs Vikings? Yeah, that, that Vikings game, that week nine game in November where um, once again, like the previous week against the Packers, there was some scuttlebutt, some, you know, some questioning whether Pat Mahomes would be able to pull himself into making that start. Um, the team obviously played it extremely cautious and he did not play, but uh, it was an exciting pregame wait again, just like it was the week before to see if maybe we would hear Pat Mahomes music and he would come out running through the tunnel. But uh, anyways, the, the chiefs, um, you know, they played without their number one quarterback against a playoff team with the Vikings, a playoff um, team with no one on the injury report, by with, the way. Yes, exactly. A Not fully... a single person <laughs> yeah. in week nine of the NFL uh, season. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. 
and they had you know Diggs and Thielen and Kirk Cousins and and Thielen did get hurt in this game. He reaggravated oh, an injury. Oh yeah, yeah, he did. But he true. he was not on. He was. I think he actually was maybe listed as questionable coming into this game. But the Chiefs were missing a ton of guys as usual. Obviously, starting with Pat Mahomes, but they came out and they gave a great effort. And this time, unlike last week against Green Bay, it was enough to pull out the dub. It was. Uh, the one thing that I remember standing out about this game from the defensive standpoint was holding Dalvin Cook down. He was absolutely the NFL's uh, number one productive running back outside of Christian McCaffrey uh, coming into this game. And he was the, Chief, the leading rusher at the time. I he believe. was the leading rusher in the NFL, was absolutely dynamic. The Chiefs held him to 21 attempts for only 71 yards with a long of 12. So he wasn't – I mean, he they should have been pounding the rock with Dalvin Cook, but this Chiefs defense had kind of found its swagger against that against Denver. And, you know, they had – although they got burned a couple times against Green Bay, that you could start to see the turnaround here. And uh, holding an offense that was as capable as Minnesota was down to 23 points was extremely impressive. This is a little bit anecdotal, Taylor, but I think that good NFL defenses – no matter what the numbers say, can kind of stop what they want to stop. And what I mean by that is you can go and look at some of Belichick's defenses where, you know, even a couple of years ago, I think the last Super Bowl run they had, I remember their run defense being pretty bad. And it was one of those things where it was like, well, you can run on the Patriots, you know, like, are they going to be able to stop the run? And of course, when the playoffs roll around and teams just want to run the ball down their throats, it's kind of like, I always think back to that wretched uh, Chiefs playoff game where we played the Colts and the Colts Which run defense time? had been terrible. <laughs> well, right. The oh, Colts the run defense at the, the time that they won the Super Bowl when Bob Sanders came back. But what I what this this was such a an impressive game because you knew the Vikings, you knew what the Vikings were gonna try and do, and the Chiefs just took it away. I mean, the Chiefs statistically before and after this game, I mean on the on the whole, as a season, the pass defense was really good. But the run defense wasn't very good. And, you know, you you had, I mean, even weeks after this, some questions about whether the Chiefs' run defense would be good enough to win in the playoffs. Now, run defense, to me, isn't terribly important. But uh, we're going to see in a couple weeks when we talk about the Tennessee game, you know, like what just horrific run defense, like the worst case scenario, you know, where – when you say run defense doesn't matter that much, people will be like, well, what about the Tennessee game? Mm-hmm. But this was an encouraging game because, you know, the Chiefs have had, had had coming into this game, bad run defense for years. I mean, we're talking about really that 2017 team, the last year with Alex Smith, the run defense, the second half of that. I mean, really after, um, I guess DJ was still playing, but kind of had yeah, worn down Twilight. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the run defense the year before, after he got injured, really was not very good at all. And so really this was going on, you know, four or five years where the Chiefs run defense really had not been very good. And you worried about a team with a strong running game coming in and just running the Chiefs over. And Spag said, no, nah, no, we're good. We got this. This is kind of around the time that Mike Pinnell started to become, you know, kind of a household mm-hmm. name, uh, mm-hmm. certainly stepping up big and just becoming a force against the run. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Just being able to hold uh, Dalvin Cook down in that game was tremendously impressive. It was, and it was. There was a lot of good situational football displayed by the Chiefs throughout this game. You could tell that they knew they needed the win. Uh, they knew they just dropped that Packers game, which, while the Packers were a really good team, the Chiefs had 
we're now five and three and, you know, kind of had to kick it into gear against a team that was really, really good. And they did. And I remember late in the game, um, you know, the chiefs finished off a drive with a field goal to tie the game with two thirty-six left. The, the Vikings got the ball and then it was three straight. It was two incompletes. And then a short pass that went that way backwards that Dan Sorensen blew up and they had to punt it right back with just under the two minute warning. So it was a, a absolutely had to have it nails defensive performance there. And then the chiefs for their credit, um, the very first play of that drive, Mac Moore gets strip sacked and Damian Williams jumps on the ball, but they ended up losing 11 yards on the strip sack. And they, you know, there's less than a minute left and you got your backup quarterback on second and 21 and he hits Travis Kelsey on a beautiful deep pass. And then a little quick one to Tyreek and they kicked the game winning field goal. And it was just a very um, well-coached performance too. You could tell that this team, even without their superstar quarterback, these guys know how to play football. Yeah, it was a very tight performance. And this was the game where people pointed that people pointed to to say, like, you know, you get your obligatory, like, well, you know, are they playing better because they know that they don't have Papa Holmes to help yeah. them win? Um, you know, but they did only four penalties in this game for 25 yards. Chiefs did have one turnover um, and did have three fumbles. They lost one, but 377 total yards. And I do want to call specific attention to. Harrison Butker, uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned obviously the game winning field goal, but the game tying field goal just a little bit before that was just an tremendous, uh, a tremendous kick 54 yards on a pretty windy day at Arrowhead where yeah. the conditions for kicking were, were really not ideal at all. So for him to make the 54 yarder, which I think was actually a career high for him at the time. And then to turn around two minutes later, two and a half minutes later and hit a 44 yard game winner, you know, in those adverse conditions, just a really, really clutch play by him. Uh, it's so great having a kicker, you know, not, I'm, I have fond memories of Cairo Santos, <laughs> our previous sure. kicker, you know, the, the old double doink in Denver to win that, but he made the kicks very interesting and Butker just, he's nails, man, just right down the middle every time. I can't believe how this front office just continues to hit home run after home run. I mean, plucking Butker off of the Carolina practice squad and him turning into the most accurate field goal kicker since the day that he started kicking for the chiefs is just, it's just a testament to how these guys have everyone scouted on every team in the NFL. They know what they're doing. Um, It's just, it's so impressive. Butker is such a dominant young kicker. And they locked him up long-term, pretty good deal. Um, he's. It's just so fun to have an office that knows every aspect of football and tries to maximize every bit of it as best they can, and he's no exception. Yeah. Any closing thoughts on this game before we get into the mailbag? This is kind of when I started to feel the swagger come back. Yep. Um, this was, you know, things were a little dicey up until now. The Five the Chiefs, and three. Yeah, after starting four and up. So I mean it was a it was an absolute, you know, the you lost your quarterback. There's a tailspin of a couple losses in there. Uh, but this is when, you know, not only was Pat almost going to play in this game, so I felt that his return was right around the corner, which does a lot for the confidence, but just the to be able to see every piece other than him be able to go out and defeat a really good team, uh, it just it gave me that kind of like, okay. 
season's not over by a long shot. Um, you know, the Chiefs are still in the driver's seat for the division. I felt as good about after this game as maybe any of the regular season wins outside of, you know, a handful of them. I mean, it was, it was great. It was. It was a great win and a great team win. And next week we get to start talking about Pat Mahomes again. So that'll be, <laughs> that'll be exciting. Well, let's jump into this mailbag, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. The, the people gave us uh, quite a lot to chew on this week. Um, we'll just kind of do what we've done and kind of pop back and forth. Austin and I each have picked out some of the questions and then we'll tackle a couple of them. Um, you know, both of us kind of chime in, but um, I'll go ahead and start off with a pretty easy one from angry old fetus at chiefs fan 43. He said, who is a better running back Clyde Edwards, Hilaire or Lamar Jackson, which is, you know, it's fun making fun of Lamar Jackson for being a running back. Um, I think he is really good at running because of the threat to throw more than he is just a pure, like, I think if he just lined him up a tailback, I, he'd be probably still decently effective, but obviously Clyde Edwards, Hilaire is built as a running back he is great at catching passes out of the backfield this is I took this question seriously even though I know he was just trolling Lamar but I'm taking Clyde in this one uh we've got one here from BM Bear at McSwag Analty (laughs) Swag Analty I don't know how you pronounce it I good guy longtime follower longtime fan of the show we appreciate the question what position was a weakness last year that could be a strength this year for the Chiefs I feel like this answer is pretty obvious uh, because there was one real, real, real clear weakness on the Chiefs in 2019, and that was linebacker. And we drafted Willie Gay, who, uh, if you listen to last week's show, you know Taylor and I are both huge fans of, just off the charts athletic profiling and the number one rated coverage linebacker in the draft per pro football focus. So that's an obvious one to me. I think linebacker will be a, could be a strength and it for sure was a weakness last year. They still have some pieces that they kind of need to work in there. It's not a terribly important position. We're going to rank all of the NFL positions in order of importance later in this mailbag, but uh, yeah, got to go with linebacker and honorable mention. I'll go with running back. I don't know that it was a huge weakness, but obviously the play there was a little bit spotty at times last year uh, until Damian kind of came in and was healthy at the end of the year and kind of cemented himself and, you know, did his thing in the playoffs like he always does. But adding Clyde Edwards-Hilaire obviously uh, is a huge factor there. If you guys don't, if you haven't read it yet, by the way, I'm going to go ahead and plug my article for Sports Illustrated. I wrote about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and why I think Andy Reid felt like that was the pick, despite the controversy of picking a running back in the first round. So check that out. I sure hope all of our listeners are subscribing to our Sports Illustrated content because as good as this podcast is, our written words – equally fun. Yeah. And it's fun for us because we're really here to do the podcast, but also we get a ride for sports illustrated on the side, like <laughs> for fun. Yeah. So yeah. that's pretty cool. It's a good little Plus we tip. have, uh, we got some, some great content from our colleagues, uh, over at sports illustrated, obviously Josh Briscoe, who put this whole thing together, Sam Hayes, um, who does some work for PFF and just a bunch of other guys, uh, too, that you should definitely be following and checking out. Yep. Uh, question from Zach Albers at Zach Albers. Other than Michael Jordan, who was your favorite Jordan teammate? Um, hmm, I yeah yeah. So you I always, can see that we're not. We're just going like in order of the questions subscribed. Like we haven't organized these at all. Nope. We're going Chiefs. Then we're going back to Jordan. We're then we're going to go man. to yeah yeah yeah. No, I like it. It's it's um, natural. We uh, you know everyone thinks about the big three with Jordan Pippen and Rodman, but I chose. Uh, Warriors head coach Steve Kerr 
Um, mm, yeah. I think he is choice. an awesome dude. He's a brilliant basketball mind. And, you know, he spent his time hitting bombs. And, you know, yeah, great shooter. nothing better than uh, an assassin three-point shooter. And as, as great as Scottie Pippen was, and he was for a stretch, probably the second best player in the NBA behind Michael Jordan. So, I mean, there is no denying the greatness of Scottie Pippen and the hilarity of Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman's one of the most colorful characters in sports history, if not the most colorful. So um, while they were, you know, they had their own eccentricities and stuff, um, I picked Steve Kerr there. I think he's a lot of fun. Uh, so we've got a question here from Brent Powers at TD underscore MFLA or MFL add-ons. Is McColl's comp Deshaun Jackson? Uh, honestly, Brent, I think you hit the nail right on the head. I really like that comp for McColl. Obviously, the thing there is the speed. Deshaun Jackson never really had, you know, people, people used to like to comp Tyreek to Deshaun Jackson. And I didn't really like that comp very much because Deshaun Jackson really is just a deep receiver, right? Like he doesn't have nearly the same lateral quickness and burst that uh, Tyreek has. And he doesn't have nearly as much diversity in kind of the routes that he runs. He just doesn't have as much agility. Now he has unbelievable long speed, certainly in his prime one of the fastest players that I've ever seen, I don't think as fast as peak Tyreek, but because nobody's as fast as peak Tyreek, let's be honest. But I do think that's a great comp for McColl. He obviously has shown some deep receiving chops, just like Djax has, and has shown some stuff on punts too. Uh, that was a big part of Djax's game there for a while too. Obviously had that very memorable walk-off punt return touchdown against the against the Giants at the Meadowlands just a a fun player and I do like that comp I I think they do have a lot of really similar skill sets what's fun is having Deshaun Jackson essentially on the same team as Tyree Kill I mean it's it's unfair it's ludicrous really yeah um you know Deshaun uh he has a lot of great qualities um just because he's not Tyree Kill does not mean it's a bad thing to be Deshaun Jackson uh do we have time to run wasp i love justin rolls um handle there that's fun uh if you were buying a birthday present for charlie or he says for charlie kelly what would it be and then he adds an addendum uh what would you buy for each members of the gang this is an always sunny related question uh for frank i would buy him a new toe knife because his old one's pretty gnarly so i figure he can he can use a, a brand new toe goop scooper uh for mac i would buy him a whole bunch of double stuff oreos not only because i've been eating them a lot and they're amazing but i need great i need fat mac to come back he was too much fun it sounds like you're becoming (laughs) yeah exactly i'm trying i'm trying my best uh for dennis i'm gonna get him some duct tape and zip ties you know for those household chores that you really need to you know wrap stuff my tools (laughs) i need my tools he he likes to be bound (laughs) (laughs) uh for d i'm gonna get her a karaoke machine because i love when she fake barf gargles in front of people and uh any chance to get her in front of a microphone in front of other people i am taking and then charlie it's about time that kid learns how to read so i'm gonna get him hooked on phonics you know i figure we just gotta just pull him across the finish line and uh, that way he doesn't see any more doors marked private and think there's a pirate living in it. I can read. I just don't like to <laughs> I know how to read and write. I just don't like to read and write. I like to read and write. <laughs> I've got one from Chad Van Dam at Chad Van Dam 11. If KC designs, decides to sign a veteran free agent cornerback, who would you like to see signed and why? I mean, the obvious answer here is Logan Ryan. He's the best cornerback probably still out there on the market. Uh, he's in kind of an interesting case because he seems to be demanding – 
that he not take a penny less than what he made last year, which I think was $10 million. Uh, he, he doesn't want to take a pay cut at all. However, it is now May 6th when we're recording this. Free agency has been going on for over a month, about six or seven weeks now. He doesn't have a new team. He now, I believe the window now is passed where he wouldn't even net a comp pick yeah. if he signs. Yep. And yet he's not getting the money that he wants. So well, none of us are Logan, so yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you know what? Times is tough. <laughs> He's gonna be selling crabs from you know under the bridge if he doesn't just buck up and sign for whatever somebody's willing to pay him. I would love to. Obviously, if we could make the money work out, you know, it's funny because the Chiefs don't have a lot of short-term cap flexibility because. You know, if you're going to have a guy sign a guy to a one-year deal, that money is all on this year's cap, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's when you start getting into multi-year deals that you really can fudge the numbers, get some, yeah, yeah get some cap flexibility for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, there's always money in the banana stand. <laughs> nice. uh, you know, you could you can always restructure Frank Clark or whatever you need to do, sign Chris Jones to a long-term deal, whatever that actually can free up some money in the short term. But that's who I would like to see signed. I don't know how realistic that's going to be, but uh, but that would be awesome. Boy, they've sure stretched that $177, haven't they? Yeah, they sure stretched have. Stretched it out. Chad Van Dam also asked another question, so we'll go ahead and knock out both of yours. Ooh, a little double, double dip from Chad, yep. Uh, he asked, who is the odd man out at running back? We do have a pretty uh, healthy stable of running backs right now. Uh, he said, do we trade Damian Williams before the season starts or keep him on the roster? So... And actually, he just said Williams. Maybe he was talking about Daryl, but I'm assuming Damien there because I mean, Daryl doesn't knows? have. He could have been talking about Daryl Williams, the tackle. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We do love our D Williamses. Uh, but, you know, between Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Damien, Daryl, Darwin, and DeAndre, that's that's quite the running back room. Um, the Killer D's. The Killer D's and Clyde. Uh, <laughs> you <laughs> sure. don't. I don't see the team signing DeAndre Washington and then getting rid of him before the season starts, although that is what happened last year with Carlos Hyde. But, um, man, I got to feel like Darwin or Daryl, if there is a weakest link that needs to be cut, um, I just see it being one of those two. Uh, Clearly, Edward Solaire is here, but people have been talking about getting rid of Damian Williams for a while, and I, I just feel that the team likes him, that he shows up great in big games uh he's got speed that they love um i just don't see them i i think they like him being on the offense so i'm gonna go with daryl williams even though i do kind of like what he brings i just think he's the odd man out yeah i think that's fair i've got a question here from advantage potato his at is potato advantage so just slipped around the other way What's it like being a bird's lawyer? Do you find the communication to be troublesome? Well, potato advantage, I am familiar with a little bit of pigeon, so I can always, you know, try and little communicate there. Um, I've got one here too from KC Super Bowl champs at GoMo Tigers. The Chiefs have shown a clear interest in signing young, fast players over big name veteran talent. Do you think the success we've had with that is sustainable? I think the Chiefs' roster building strategy is really interesting. I might. One of us needs to write about this because I think the, you know, the Chiefs have invested now, and I touched on this a little bit in my last article, the Chiefs invested a first round pick in a running back, which typically you don't see teams do. The Chiefs have not invested very much at all, either in free agency or in terms of like premium draft picks in cornerback, which is a pretty valuable position. But what they have done is they have done a really good job of churning 
the bottom of their roster, whether it's guys like Taco Charlton or bringing in a guy like Traverius Ward, who obviously has developed into a really useful player for us. You know, even before Vija's time, you know, Dan Swordson was an undrafted free agent. Um, Damian Williams was a free agent signing, but he was a former undrafted free agent. The entirety of the Chiefs investment in the running back position prior to drafting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was one draft pick. They spent a sixth round pick on Damian or excuse me, on Darwin Thompson last year. And everybody else was like a budget free agent signing. What they've done is they've taken the approach that they've taken to certain positions that would include running back. It would include cornerback um, just cycling guys through and, and on the defensive line too, whether it be at edge or in the interior of the defensive line, bringing in low cost guys and just bringing them in, just throwing stuff at a wall. We have such a good coaching staff that I do think it's sustainable. Like I, I think this is what you see successful teams in the league do when you're, when you have to pay elite players, the way that you fill out a roster becomes really important. And the way that you do that without, you know, running a salary cap trouble is just by going for guys that have talent that, that maybe do have some character concerns. I got another question about that, that I'll kind of address too, but just taking chances on guys, you know, essentially just buying a bunch of lottery tickets, except unlike playing the actual lottery, (laughs) some of them hit. (laughs) I do. Yeah, exactly. You are going to actually hit on players and there's a skill element, unlike the actual lottery, right? Which is your coaching staff, your belief in your, your coaching staff to develop these guys. So I really do think, you know um, I mean, really, there's been, you know, one or two guys really every year, whether it's a late round pick, a guy like Traverius Ward or an undrafted free agent that's come in and made some waves and made an impact on the team or a veteran free agent signing. We were just singing the praises, you know, Mike Pinnell, who was a guy that we picked up midway through the season. Stefan Wisniewski last year, same deal. Guys that we picked up, you know, midway through the year, Terrell Suggs, you yeah. know, guys that come in and fill a role and, you should be really confident, I think, in the Chiefs' ability to develop role players. And I think when you when you have stars on your roster, and the Chiefs certainly have plenty of star players, how you fill out the rest of that roster with your role player talent and how you coach those guys up, that, to me, you know, other than Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and obviously Belichick's a big part of it, that's how New England does it. Yeah. I mean, New England brings in guys to do a specific role and coaches them up to do that Do your role. job. Yeah, right. I mean – it's stupid and it's trite, but like, that's the Patriot way. Right. So it's now the chief's way because the Patriots are old news. Suck it. Okay. I well, think it's we, a good idea. You know, it, it is a good idea. Winning, <laughs> well winning, winning six Super Bowls and going uh-huh. to nine. Pretty, pretty good idea. Might pretty as well try idea. and do what those guys were doing. Well, sure. Except better. Except which better. we will. Yeah. Which we're about to see. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Whiteside is at OU SAS and he asks, what do you call a, Ben Zobrist, uh, type super utility player, but in football. So for those who don't know, Ben Zobrist plays a lot of different positions in baseball. Played. Didn't he retire? Played. Yes, correct. He is not on a team right now. He might answer a call if, uh, well, either way. And uh, so he said, not a gadget guy, which is in football, gadget players are more gimmicky. They're more, you know. Yeah, they're basically like a return guy that's uh, – like uh, running, taking direct snaps out of the wildcat or something. Exactly. Like that. like, he that's, says, that's but more like Tavon Austin who can, yeah, right. Tavon Austin. Perfect example. Someone who can help in a variety of different ways, because that's what he feels CEH is going to be for the chiefs, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And you know, uh, the first type of word that came to my mind, and I'm not quite sure this is applicable for Clyde, but was a scat back just like hard to bring down. Um, his vision is something that the, um, 
the scouts have showed that he has incredible vision for hitting holes and patience and and uh scat backs are always just kind of like you always feel like they just ran by you you just, they, you just missed them uh i'm not sure if football actually has like a general word akin to utility player in baseball but uh he's definitely going to be playing as close to a hybrid running back slash wide receiver maybe you know in, in high school they call them just offensive weapons when yep. you could just bring them in that's anywhere. also what dexter mccluster called himself which is hilarious <laughs> knowing Man. what we know about his career, but RIP Dex, but, uh, but that he aspired to be an offensive weapon. He and, did. And um, he never got there, but he sure tried. And, or, you know, maybe like you think of fantasy football, a flex player, yeah. just, you know, that type of wording I could see being used for Clyde. Uh, he's definitely not going to be your typical three down, hit the hole in the middle every time. I mean, he, he's going to be doing some weird stuff. Yeah, for sure he is. Um, I've got a couple of Breland questions here, yeah, so let's go ahead up. and knock those out one at a time here. I've got one here first from Brian Westhues at West Zeus. If you were the prosecutor, how would you approach the Breland case? Uh, best case, worst case. So, if I'm the DA and I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend to be like an elected official, I'm just a, a lowly deputy district attorney. I've never been elected to office, but not yet. It, not yet. Maybe someday. Um, but I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but I think number one, you kind of have to think about the PR of handling a case like this involving a celebrity, because, you know, on the one hand, um, you know, as a district attorney, you are, I don't know, it's kind of exciting. Like when you are prosecuting a famous person for a crime, because it's, it's, it's just like any other walk of life, right? Like when I was working at Barnes and Noble once over the holidays, I sold a book to Herm Edwards and it was really cool because you know, it was Herm Edwards, right? Like, whatever. He was the coach of the Chiefs at one point. This was after he had been fired. But you have to think about the PR aspect of it, right? So how you handle a case in the PR realm is going to make a tremendous amount of difference. Uh, you're an elected official, right? So football players are immensely popular, and you don't want to just let them off with a free pass because then, you know, political opponents are like, oh, this guy's, you know, weak on crime you know, this guy broke the law, he needs to be treated like everybody else. At the same time, you can't overplay your hand, right? Like, this is a minor case. And if you treat it like it's the biggest case in the world, you're going to look like a bozo. And get burned. Yeah. And even though obviously it's not a, a situation like uh, Demetrius Harris, for example, Dwayne Bowe, both got caught with pot in and around Kansas City. Um, Debo was at the downtown airport and uh, Demetrius was in Bates County, Missouri, for some reason. Uh, this, this is a guy, you know, he's in Georgia or in South Carolina. And so, you know, I don't know, but he's obviously, I'm sure he's a popular player in the area. You know, that's kind of where he's from. You have to worry about that. The PR aspect of it. The second part of it is just from like a, a resources allocation standpoint. Um, like I said, you can't, you can't devote you know, a tremendous amount of resources. I mean, you're a public office. So I've never worked in a DA's office. I've worked now in two where there's been like a tremendous surplus of time and resources to work on cases that don't matter. Uh, you know, you're, you're working for a, a local government. And so you're working on a budget and your time is extremely valuable. Um, the district attorneys are always very busy. And so this is a minor case, like, right? Like it's a misdemeanor. Yeah, if he didn't um, play for the NFL, it would yeah, be nothing. It'd be a non-story. And, you know, like I said, 
last week when we were talking about this, you know, like you can't, if you were to just treat this case completely normally, you're going to have a, a DA on your staff who's been there for six months handling this case. They're going to get completely smoked by, you know, Bashar Breland's million dollar lawyers. <laughs> uh, so you don't really want to do that. If it were me, my first step would be, I'm going to go talk to um, Bashad's lawyers and I'm just going to say, what do you want? Like what, what would be acceptable from this? Like, what do you want? If, if all they're asking for is, you know, a dismissal and like a public apology, I probably am going to tell them to fuck off. Mm-hmm. Um, defense attorneys, the good ones anyway, are, are typically not going to come in and say, you know, yell and scream and this is an outrage and dismiss this case. You know, like, I've had a lot of attorneys come to me and ask me to do things like that. And frankly, my reaction to that usually is just like, okay, well now I'm just going to work Challenge really hard. Accepted. Yeah. Now I'm just going to work really hard to put your guy in jail. Right. Like yeah, yeah. the the good ones are a little bit smoother than that. They come in and you know, like, well, you know, like, well, will you dismiss all of these charges here? You know, like what if he agrees to do probation or whatever it would be? So Play my ball. first, yeah. yeah, exactly. My, my first step would be to go talk to his lawyers and say like, Hey, like, what do you, what do you want to see happen from this? Um, we got one here too on Breland. Let's just knock all of these out from yeah. Chief N620. What do you think about the Breland arrest video from TMZ? Uh, I, I loved that we got the commentary uh, from the person recording the video. Sure. Which was fantastic. That was a, a she was nice freaked out from TMZ. She was freaked out and she had every right to be freaked she out. Did. Like, uh, you know, a citizen police encounter like that in a public place. Uh, it's scary. Like, I, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's a scary situation and you know, those emotions that she was feeling felt pretty genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and I mentioned this last week before I had seen the video, I think Breland's pretty lucky that he didn't get shot or at least tased, no right? Joke. Like he, he got back into his car and I said this last week, you can't get back in your car when you're dealing with a cop because cop doesn't know what's in your car Mm -hmm. and you could have anything in your car. You could have a gun in your car. You know, you could have a knife in your car. You know, you could have any man. You could try and drive away. You you could could try and drive away. You could try and drive away. Exactly. And you know, the thing too, is this all happened with, within a couple of feet. I mean, like what was surprising to me, you know, not being able to visualize it, not surprising, but when you see the video, I mean, they are, they are right next to each other. They're in close physical proximity this whole time. So you know, I mean, even if he had had like a knife or a, a, a heavy blunt object in his car, right? Like as a law enforcement officer, that puts you in a bad position and puts you at risk. So I don't think that the officer really did anything wrong. I actually think, you know, we're, we're fortunate that he has a degree of restraint that not all law enforcement officers do have. Uh, on the other hand, on the flip side, you know, you watch the video and it's not the end of the world, right? Like it, it is a minor charge. And when you watch the video, you're like, okay, well, I get why this, you know, when you say resisting arrest. Yeah. Now, and obviously that's a two and a half minute video. We don't see the whole interaction, you know, they sure. probably, like every TMZ video yeah, it's always yeah. to be whatever the, the worst part for the yeah. person involved is. And if that's the worst part of the video, then good on Bashat sure. because yeah. honestly, other than the fact that he went into his car, which is dangerous and stupid and he shouldn't have done it. Like, I don't know. I mean, he doesn't ever hit the cop. He, he resists, like he doesn't want to put his hands in handcuffs. I can tell you that like that level of resisting happens almost every time somebody gets arrested, right? Like <laughs> it's, it's very rare for somebody to be like, all right, put me in <laughs> here we go. Here. Like, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Here I am. Put my hands in the handcuffs, cuff me, take me to jail. Um, I, I mean, 
like I said, I think he's lucky that he didn't get hurt. We're lucky that he didn't get hurt. Uh, I think the, you know, the stuff from his defense attorney, you know, investigating why this level of force was necessary, <laughs> whatever. That's, that's just a little puff piece for the press, right? right? Like right. it was an appropriate level of force. There's not going to be a lawsuit, but you know, that's something that you put out there because when you, you are defending a famous client, you know, and going against, you know, a, a small town district attorney or even, you know, a, a big city district attorney, like you were fighting that battle as much in the press as you would in the courtroom. So um, totally appropriate, uh, I think, restraint by the officer, um, pretty dumb by Bashad, but it's not like he hit the cop or anything like that. So I, I don't know that it's too bad. Yeah, he wasn't violent. He just wasn't, he just didn't yeah. comply. He yeah. just didn't do, you know, the, the officer kept telling him, put your hands behind your back yeah. and he kept shrugging out of his, he wasn't pushing him. He just was shrugging out of his grip and pointing to someone off camera. And I mean, he just was, he was not doing what you would hope uh, everyone does when they get arrested, which is not get, not risk getting shot basically. Yeah. But, but uh, all's well that ends decently well and he did not die. So that's yeah. It. On that note, back to you, Taylor. Yeah. Um, Kellen Quick at Kellen Quick asked, with much needed cap space, does the drafting of Sneed, Legereus Sneed, make Dan Sorensen expendable? Hmm. Um, who needs cap space? Did, did you see what they've done with their last $177? <laughs> uh, no, I, I do think Sorensen is staying around. Um, he's survived this long. I, I can't imagine that anything's going to happen between now and when they need to make cuts that they decide that they don't want him anymore. Um, I guess I could see him being cap casualty if he has to be, but they kind of have everyone now. Like they, they've kind of filled out the roster and, and I don't really see the need to um, get rid of him for any reason other than if maybe somebody comes around that they absolutely can't say no to in free agency or something, but no, no, I think that um, Sorensen staying around. I just think Legarius Need makes the secondary better. He gives them more depth. He gives them more versatility. Um, he Dan Sorensen can certainly help him develop. Dan's been around and is a is a good dude. And no, I don't think he's going to be a casualty. I've got one from Michael Orozco Jr. at Michael Orozco Jr. Will CEH Clyde Edwards-Hilaire be as effective in this offense as Kareem Hunt was? Yeah, I mean, I think the short answer is yes. I I think uh, Clyde, obviously Clyde's draft uh, pedigree is is a higher grade than Kareem Hunt. Kareem was a third-round pick. He came out of Toledo, you know, uh, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is coming from the national champion LSU Tigers who have, I think every single one of their offensive skill players. And I think every single one of their offensive players was drafted or signed as an undrafted free agent. And obviously they had one of the all time great college football runs. And the guys on that team said that Clyde Edwards Hilaire was their MVP, which is crazy because Joe Burrow threw for 60 touchdowns and had the best passing season in college football history. Uh, But yeah, I think, the the biggest difference because there are a lot of similarities, right? Like the the one that really stands out, you know, that you watch him and you see Kareem Hunt is obviously like the contact balance and the ability to break tackles, the ability to just bounce off of guys and make guys miss, which, you know, every time I think about Kareem, I think about that game against the Bengals in 2018 Ugh. where he was just, I mean, he was doing things that just are outrageous that you just don't see running backs do very often and Kareem did it on a regular basis. And then you watch highlights of Clyde Edwards Hilaire and you say, okay, I see why they want this guy. The big difference is 
Clyde's ability as a receiver. And Kareem did produce pretty good receiving numbers here in sure. Kansas City, but he wasn't really a super developed pass catcher. He had pretty good hands and he could run some routes. And Andy Reid is yeah. an outrageous god uh, at at scheming running backs open in the pass game, whether it be on screens or down the field. Obviously, we all remember vividly that game oh. in 2017 in Week One against the Patriots where Kareem Hunt, you know, caught that ball at the seam and took it to the house and just people freaked out because you didn't really see running backs run that play very often. Clyde Edwards-Lair, I'm sure, has run that play at LSU. And they have a guy who can line up. He lined up out wide, I think, 32% of his snaps in college, which is a huge number. I mean, we're talking about one-third of the time he wasn't even in the backfield or, you know, he, he motioned out wide or he lined up out wide. So that'll be the big difference. But I think overall, I think uh, you're going to see him be just as effective as Kareem was, if not a little bit more effective in the passing game. And I think he's going to, you know, provided that the offseason program works more or less like it should, I think you're going to see some pretty instant impact there. I agree. I think he is a, he's set up for a dynamite rookie season. I can't wait. He's the Vegas second uh, highest odds to win rookie of the year behind Joe Burrow. So that's pretty good. He's going to be, he's going to be good. He's going to be fun. Uh, our guy, vitamin J at vitamin J asks us since it's uniform update season, if you were to change, if you were in charge of designing an updated uniform for the chiefs, which I shudder kind of just reading this question, uh, what kind of changes would you make? So number one, none. I love the uniforms <laughs> forever. Um, they're classics. I, Never want them to change, but there is this alternate black uniform with yellow lettering that if I were to imagine the Chiefs in a non-regular Chiefs uniforms, um, I would be interested to see what that would look like on the field. Uh, but, I mean, if I were in charge and they told me I had to update the uniform, I'd make whatever the most subtle possible change I could make is because these Chiefs uniforms are classics. Yeah, I I agree. They are classics, and it says something that our uniforms have remained pretty unchanged for years and years because they are so timeless and classic. The only thing that I would add to that is I am a huge slut for the yellow QP jersey. <laughs> Maybe it's just because my man Pat's wearing it and right. he looks good and pretty much everything. Right. But I would I would buy the hell out of that as an alternate jersey. I just think that yellow jerseys when they're done well, when they're not done well, they're terrible. But like the the Rams color rush jerseys, um the Chargers have had some yellow, predominantly yellow uniforms before. I just think they look really cool. Yeah. So we've got a question here from our man, Corey at Corey 04, the artist chief. Who are you top five favorite sports artists in chief's kingdom? This is a really hard question and I it don't is. want to offend anybody and I don't want to leave anybody out. So I, we probably I can, haven't seen, I mean, you know, like yeah, there's tons yeah, of great artists yeah. out there that have just never come across. our. Yeah, it's artists. true. And in, in fact, you know, since we're, we're getting, we're obviously still basking in the afterglow of winning the Super Bowl. You know, there will be people that just kind of pop onto Twitter and they're like, check out this dope mural I made out of Patrick Mahomes. And I <laughs> use like dots or, you know, it's like a mosaic or something like that. And it's the size of a wall. And it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And this guy has 10 followers or whatever. I'm like, what, this belongs in the Smithsonian. Like this, <laughs> this is the greatest work of art that I've ever seen in my entire life. Right. Um, I am happy to see a lot of 
our Chiefs Kingdom artists getting a lot more exposure. Corey, we love you. Um, I need to get some of your art. There's a couple people on here that I do have that I purchased art from. Corey and uh, Caitlin Snelling, who's a portrait, art, portrait artist, uh, check her out. She does a really good, I think she uses colored pencil. She does like really photorealistic stuff, which is something that I'm very into. Like that's, that's kind of like, you know, if I go to the museum, this is going to go way over your head, Taylor, but that's okay. I'm speaking that's to my right. art, my I, art I history followers already. out there. Yeah, it's fine. You know, I, Dutch masters and kind of that hyper-realism sort of style. Uh, I do not own any of her work, but I love her stuff. Uh, Corey does more, you know, like kind of almost like a comic book kind of style, which is really cool. I definitely need to check some of his stuff out. I just got some stuff from my man, RJ, who works over at Arrowhead Guys and does like kind of some digital. I think he does all of his stuff digitally. Um, but he's done some really cool stuff. He's got a whole series of numbered prints out right now uh, that I have a couple of uh, purchased that I'm going to have hanging up. And for me, like the original OG badass Chiefs artist is Chris Sembauer. I know you have a Chris Sembauer piece in your basement. I have yes. a Chris Sembauer piece that he did of the Houston playoff game where the Chiefs came back, which is an unbelievable piece of art. Uh, he just does amazing stuff. Check him out. Um, he's great. And I know Corey mentioned that he's, um, he's kind of mentored Corey too, and, and given him a lot of instruction. So, uh, he's great. So check all of them out. That's only four. I know I'm missing people. There's a, like a dozen more that I follow on Twitter, but yeah. Yeah. I've got a, uh, an entry for the fifth, which oh, go I, for it. I, I have only seen one piece that he's done, but this is the Philly fan that created the Arrowhead stadium out of the names of former chiefs players. Did Oof. you see this? No. Oh, I'll send but it now to I you. Need to, yeah. It's awesome. So the guy's name, he has no relation, but the guy's name is Dan Duffy. Oh, <laughs> so that's great. Not related to the Royals pitcher Danny Duffy, but uh, he's an Eagles fan and he was rooting for Big Red to win the, the Super Bowl. And when he did, he came out with this ridiculously cool. Every line in this picture of Arrowhead Stadium is actually the name of a player. So that's it was, uh, it's awesome. I'll, I'll send that your way. That's our, that's our honorable mention number five. Yeah, I mean, we we came up with five. I will say, uh, if you guys don't follow us on Twitter, you absolutely should. I'm at Real Bird Lawyer. He's at Taylor underscore Wit. He's trying to do like a checkmark thing in his name now. You'll, <laughs> you'll recognize it. It looks like a, a weird swoosh. Um, but I, I'm like constantly retweeting cool Chiefs art in my timeline because I'm way into it. So, mm -hmm. you know, anybody that I didn't shout out, I probably have retweeted you. If you're listening to this and I didn't name you and you have some badass art and you want me to, like, you know, retweet yeah. it, um, yeah, tweeted us. And yeah, I, we'll show you love for sure. I mean, you know, I, I will, yeah, I will try and spread that to the masses for sure. Um, so Corey also asked a more uh, football related question as well. He said, if the Chiefs signed a fully healthy and completely game ready Alex Smith as a backup quarterback, would you be okay with that? And would you put him at two over Jordan Tampa? So number one, I would love this move to the end of the earth and back. I think that Alex has so many awesome things to bring to a club if he's not the starting quarterback um he's an awesome person he's an awesome locker room guy he obviously is extremely tight with andy and um he and pat seem to do have a general a genuine uh relationship that it's not just kind of a fake you know he was my backup or whatever i mean they he's he's alex is a great guy um he would be probably my number one pick if i was drafting backup quarterbacks out of all possible options i mean he's he would be the guy if he just could be healthy. Yeah. If he, if he can and, play. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that was part of the, you know, the caveat of the question, yeah. if he was fully healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Alex was great. I, you know, 
I was frustrated with him as the fan, as a fan. And now that we're past well, sure, the he's Alex a starter. Smith, yeah, right. Now that we're past the Alex Smith era, I have nothing but good things to say about him and memories and everything. I mean, he was a huge bridge between when Andy got here and and the Chiefs drafting Pat. I mean, he absolutely held the franchise down as as best as we could have asked for. It just, you know, nobody's Pat Mahomes other than Pat. And so looking at someone with with Pat as the comparison, you just can't do it. Um, so, yeah, short answer is yes, Corey. I would be glad to have Alex on the roster. I've got one from at Justin Rorell. Do we have time to run Wasp, another double dipper? And, of course, we love that handle. With the Breland thing, people have brought up Reed's perceived lack of discipline with players and the tendency to be forgiving of players' histories. During his tenure, the Chiefs account for roughly 3% of the league's arrests, which is actually a hair below the expected value of 1 out of 32, Hmm. since he will give players with troubled histories a second chance and his players are getting arrested at a lower than average rate. Does this mean he is actually better than most coaches (laughs) in that regard? Does he deserve more credit than he gets? I mean, this is like a a statement rather than a question. It's it's great. I love that he did the math on the, the Chiefs arrest rate relative to the rest of the league. Yeah, I mean, what I want to say about this is when when a coach like Andy Reid is a guy who's willing to give players second chances, like it is a it's a story insofar as it feeds a narrative. And the narrative that it fed for a really long time was that Andy doesn't have control over his players. And that's why he can't win the Super Bowl. Or that's one of the reasons why he can't win the Super Bowl. Like if he wasn't signing all these knuckleheads like Terrell Owens and Kareem Hunt and Tyree Kill, you know, these, these players with troubled histories or whatever it is, then, you know, maybe the situation would be different. Maybe he could win the Super Bowl if he didn't have all these distractions in the locker room. Well, now he has won the Super Bowl. <laughs> so now you can't use that narrative anymore. And he won it with some players that have some checkered pass. Frank Clark and Tyree Kill certainly have, um, you know, their, their demons in the closet, um, you know, Willie Gay, who they just drafted, you know, punched his quarterback and cheated on some tests in college. Uh, I think, I think he does deserve a lot of credit. And I think when you, I think I just is so great to think about how all these narratives have changed with Andy for the better now that he has finally gotten the monkey off his back and won the Super Bowl. Because when you hear players talk about playing for Andy, right? Like there's not a single guy that's ever played for Andy that has a single bad thing to say about him. And the guys that, that he's given really significant second chances to guys like Michael Vick, who literally was in prison and frankly had never really had, you know, had never really reached his potential in the NFL. I mean, he came out of prison not having played football for three years and he was in his thirties and Andy Reid turned in his best season ever as an NFL quarterback. And he was the backup entering that season. I mean, like, it's crazy to think about everything that Andy Reid has done for some of these guys. And I think it's great that he now has the Super Bowl to validate what he's been doing as a person for the last 20 years. I think it's awesome. And I think I'd like, I don't think we, do talk about it enough. I don't think we can talk about it enough. I mean, like I, I will be singing his praises till the day that I die. He's awesome. He's the best. Um, uh, we've also got one from quarantined jet chip wasp at BR cook 99 who says, 
There are now a few first round wide receivers from 2017 that did from the 2017 draft that did not have their fifth round options exercised. And for good reason, uh, Veach has an eye for resurrecting talent. Any wide receiver from that class you think would fit best next year after Sammy Watkins probably leaves such as Corey Davis or John Ross. Uh, you know, First of all, Corey Davis and John Ross, as he said in the question, there is a reason they didn't have their fifth-year options exercise. How dare you be smart, yeah. John <laughs> I know, Ross? I know you love your boy from our Dynasty League, but uh, no, they're, they're not very good wide receivers. And, um, you know, much like Taco, I guess if they want to take a flyer on a first-round guy that they're not going to pay very much and he's going to be a depth piece, but that's not the, the role that Sammy Watkins would be you know, that's not the role they would fill if Sammy Watkins left. You need a bona fide another wide receiver next to Tyreek Hill. And maybe that's McCole Hardman. And maybe that's going to be the end up going to be the replacement for Sammy. But, you know, I looked at the 2021 draft class or the, uh, the free agent class and outside of the top tier guys, which I would imagine the chiefs won't be in on Keenan Allen, T Y Hilton, AJ green, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, Cooper cup, those guys. Um, after that, there's still Will Fuller, Marvin Jones, Allen Robinson, Curtis Samuel. There's still some guys that I would be much, much more inclined to give that second wide receiver spot to before I would reach for a guy that couldn't even get to the fifth year on his deal on his rookie deal. And so, I mean, for that reason, I, I, I don't want anything to do with Corey Davis or John Ross, but I suppose if it was a charity type of, you know, we'll give you one shot and you'll be our fifth wide receiver or whatever. Yeah, whatever, bring them on. But like not as any sort of part of the offense. I'm going to have to slightly disagree with you here because I obviously you're not going to hand John Ross like a $70 million contract and say you're our wide receiver too now. Obviously you're not going to do that nor would you have to presumably because John Ross did not have his fifth year option exercise. Now, Corey Davis is trash and I, I, I I don't want any piece of Corey Davis. I've been burned by him too many times in fantasy football. I've been burned by John Ross too, but he did start to show a little bit last year. I do have him on my dynasty team. I mean, listen, the guy plays for the Bengals, right? Like he plays for the Bengals and he's been hurt all the time. The thing, the only thing that I'll say about John Ross is the because I actually advocated for the Chiefs to go out and and trade for him last year, is that John Ross ran the fastest forty in NFL Combine history. Mm-hmm. John Ross is extremely fast. I still don't think he's as fast as Tyreek Hill, right. but he's very very fast. And when you're taking, we kind of talked about this earlier in the segment, but when you're when you're looking for role players and guys that you can pick up on the cheap. What you want to look for is guys that have standout traits, like guys that are elite at something that do something incredibly well. And John Ross is extremely, extremely fast. So I don't know. It'd be fun. I wouldn't mind it. Uh, I've got a question here from praise be Mahomes at praise be Mahomes. You guys, along with the at SI chiefs writers are now students at Greendale community college, little community shout out there. I am watching that today is paintball day. Who lasts the longest and why? Well, to be honest, praise be Mahomes, we haven't met a lot of our colleagues at SI Chiefs. This all happened very suddenly. Um, and during coronavirus. I mean, And during know. coronavirus. So I haven't scouted out their paintball talents. I will say <laughs> I, I used to paintball quite a bit back in the day, you know, probably back in my early, mid-20s. 
Um, you know, none of that pussy, like we're going to play on the, you know, 100 yard by 100 yard court behind some inflatable dildo machines, shooting paintballs at like a thousand. Look, this is going to be, this is going to be, you it's know, gonna hurt. this is me going back to my mid twenties, right. You know, like going to some paintball place and like guys with their $500 machine guns, right? Like, no, mm-hmm. no. You got to go play out in the woods like real men, wear your camouflage, crawl around in the dirt for three hours. And to be honest with you, I don't think I'm that guy anymore. So I probably would not last very long. <laughs> I would good. love, I would love to be able to tout my abilities. I, I, and when I was in, when I was, was in my twenties, we used to go out to my friend's farm and I literally, I remember a, a day where we played paintball where I spent like three hours setting up this elaborate flanking maneuver and everybody else just quit the game and like stopped playing. And this is like back before, you know, we didn't have cell reception there. Like they just thought that I was lost. I wasn't lost. I like, I was sneaking up on him. Right. Like, um, I don't know. Briscoe seems like he's like a real glutton for punishment. Right. Like, you know, he just yeah. is like tase me, bro. Tase me, bro. Yeah. And finally, you know, his chickens have come home to roost. Uh, but, it's not about being able to take punishment. It's about being able to inflict punishment. And so there, I don't know. I, it would be, it would be a tough situation for sure. Now I think a lot of our colleagues in sports illustrated now, since you had They're a kids yesterday, you joined me at the ripe old age of They're 30 kids. Kids. Yeah. Our, our athletic primes are, are in the rear view mirror and yeah. in the distant rear view mirror. Way if we ever had them. If we, yeah, right, right. <laughs> so I don't know that you and I would, would be well suited to this. Although, you know, there is a strategy element to paintball and I feel like we could, you know, we could, we're wise. We, can some, we can play some tricks on them. We're, we're crafty veterans now. So yeah. Yeah. we could, we could maybe pull some few tricks out. I, I really hope we get the opportunity to test this question out someday <laughs> once the Corona has passed. I love it. Uh, Brian Lefebvre, who obviously has a great sunny themed handle, um, at PF or PP Flum asked us, Brian Lefebvre, you lose. <laughs> would you rather be in charge of Derek Carr's eyeliner application or X Factor's laundry? And by in charge, I, of course, mean you are applying the eyeliner and physically doing the laundry. Oof. Um, you no, know, X Factor follows you. you I was about to, to say, right X Factor is a recent follow of mine. Um, I'll just leave that to hang there. Uh, I would rather not have anything to do with either one. So let's go with Derek Carr's eyeliner because I could accidentally poke him in the eye. And that would be, that would probably make him a better quarterback. If you poked him in the eye, he certainly can't get any worse. Boom. Roasted. Got him. I've got one from Kevin Meyer at Casey chem guy. Should the chiefs keep a spot on the roster for a punter? given Colquitt's release and the drafting of Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Hmm. Isn't this the next evolution of NFL football? I can't tell if this is a joke or not. And <laughs> I've had a lot of interactions with Kevin over the years. And I, I still don't know. I can't decide, <laughs> but I'm going to choose to take it seriously. I do think that the chiefs should punt less. I think every team should punt less, but we have the best offense in the NFL and the best quarterback in the NFL. And so the chiefs certainly should not be punting as much as they do punt. I would definitely like almost never punt on the positive side of the field. Like if you're in opponent's territory, right? Like I, there's pretty much, yeah, as Pat would say, any down and distance, I don't care. Yeah. I would almost always go for it on fourth down if you're on in, if you're in the opponent's territory. Um, I think personally that there is a lot of room for specialists to become more generalists, right? More like what involved. I mean by that is like I don't understand why somebody can't learn to kick and punt at a high level. Mm-hmm. I know there have been some guys. There's a guy for the Vikings, and then I think 
the uh the i think he actually maybe started on the ravens and then they got a fifth round pick which they turned into calais campbell yes uh, outrageously but yes. i think he was a hybrid guy where he was supposed to be a kicker and a punter you're talking about uh one spot on a it's going to be a 55 man roster under the new cba so maybe there isn't a whole lot of utility there to saving one roster spot when you have 55 <laughs> roster spots but I don't understand. I mean, if I ever have a kid and he has any kind of athletic talent, I think I'm going to try and see if I can get him to do both. Because honestly, there's no reason why you can't have a guy that could do both. And that would really save you, you know, it'd save you a roster spot if you could do both at high level. I'm, I'm surprised that somebody like Michael Dixon or, you know, Justin yeah. Tucker, you're telling me Justin Tucker couldn't learn how to punt a football? Yeah, I'm on. sure he could bomb him. I'm sure I bet he can. Uh, yeah. You're talking about Kare Vindvik, by the way, the Vikings kicker. That Yeah, he was a kicker slash punter, and it, it didn't work out. They cut him, and then he ended up being flipped around a couple times. And uh, But I definitely think that um, the versatility is something that every coach is looking at in every position. And, yes. you know, specialty, special kickers, team, special teams, is not just the only place that you could look for someone that could have multiple roles. Um, I'm not sure why there has to be a long snapper. Yeah. Like, like, can't the center just also be the long snapper? Is that really, I don't know. I mean, obviously I haven't played professional football, but like, Ooh, it doesn't, it doesn't you know, seem like it's that hard. As we're sitting here talking about this, I just had to Google to confirm that my memory of this was true and correct. Deshaun Watson punts. Did you know Deshaun Watson punts? Do you remember like this at all? Like as yeah, the like he, quick yes, he punts. And there have been some quarterbacks. I think, um, gosh, who was it? Uh, uh, Randall uh, Cunningham, I think. Randall also. Cunningham, Drew Bledsoe. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah. Why, why can't the quarterback just also <laughs> learn to punt? And then maybe. And then you've got the most dynamite fake punt. Yeah. Well, ever. yeah, exactly. For sure. I don't know. I would hashtag never punt. Yep. I'll get this one here from Peter Yadrich at Peter Y Golf. Hi, Peter. Um, he asked us, he's been thinking a lot about mortality recently, and he said, so my question is thus. When your time comes, as it does for all of us, how do you wish to be remembered? What, if anything, will have to change between now and then to make that happen? Thank the quarantine for that question. Well, Peter, um, you know, obviously that's um, a pretty poignant question. Um when my time comes, I just hope that the people that knew me personally remember my interactions with them, that I was always trying to make their days better. I think at the end of the day, greatness is something that a lot of people strive for and very few achieve. Um, and by greatness, I mean, you know, success and long-term humanity, remembering your legacy, crap like that. I don't think that's attainable for you know, 99.999% of people. So just, I just try and be the best person I can be every day and hope that the people that are around me in my life that, um, you know, my friends and loved ones, I uh, just want to be someone that they remember being, that they remember fondly and positively and that I was never out to make anyone's days worse or anything like that so thanks for the question peter um appreciate you always submitting normally silly ones and then this one of course um you know slightly different tone you like all human beings are um thinking a lot about mortality that's just the way you know it's a sign you're getting older peter <laughs> all right thanks buddy
Um, one of the last individual ones, and then we've got three that we're both going to kind of tackle. Um, Zach, the layman stand at the layman's terms. Hi, Zach. Asked us who will be Super Bowl MVP next year and why will it be Clyde Edwards Hilaire? <laughs> so uh, I love where his head's at. I love the uh, CEH hype. And I think that the star running back getting the Super Bowl MVP odds or getting the Super Bowl MVP trophy is definitely not a long shot. I mean, the, I would say after the quarterback, he's one of the, you know, if not the next most likely, um, unfortunately for Clyde, uh, Pat's got that thing all but wrapped up already, yeah. but, but you know, maybe, uh, they've already printed a trophy with Pat's name on it for it, Super Bowl MVP in 2021. Exactly. If not every Super Bowl after that, but, um, no, I, I think that if anyone else other than Pat's going to do it, it's going to be Clyde. I have one from Parker Paget at Parker Paget. Thoughts on Nicholas Cage as Joe Exotic? I love it. I think it is an ideal casting choice. If you have not read about Nicholas Cage off screen or partaken in his films, I highly suggest that you do that. I, I just he's a an actual crazy person, and yeah. that's a perfect casting choice for Joe Exotic. I don't know. Have you did you ever see his Wicker Man remake? Of course, Are you, is it a remake? Really? Yes, it's a remake. I mean, I've oh seen my the God, Wicker Man, but well, I had no idea it was a remake. Yes, listen, the original Wicker Man is a classic horror film from the oh, 70s. Okay. Christopher Lee is the bad guy. He runs the oh, cult on the island. Neat. And it's like an iconic Christopher Lee role. And it's British. As all Christopher Lee yeah, roles are. All, that's true. That's fair. <laughs> it's very British. And then obviously the Nicolas Cage version is just batshit and crazy like Nicolas Cage is. Does it have the bees scene? It does not. It does not have the okay. beast scene. Okay. That is that is all Nicolas Cage. Of course. It so. also I don't remember there being a guy in a bear costume in the original. Wicker <laughs> yeah, Man, I was about to. But I've got to have to check it out because the Wicker Man with Nick Cage is so insane. That it's I can't amazing. Imagine it's it was a remake of anything else because of how crazy. It is. I just wanted to say on the subject of the Wicker Man so that I could give a Nicolas Cage anecdote in response to this question. I read somewhere, and I just am always – I've not ever fact-checked this because I want it to be true, so I just choose to believe that it is, uh, that the scene in The Wicker Man where Nicolas Cage is in the bear suit is because Nicolas Cage just showed up to set – wearing a bear suit oh. one day when they were filming and refused to take it off. That's and so they were like, all right, well, I guess we're doing this scene of the bear suit. We'll, we'll call it a disguise or something. All right, oh. roll the camera. You're going to go wear a bear suit. You're going to go punch a woman full on in the face, wearing a bear costume. We'll roll with it. Boy, that has to be true. Yeah. Like I mean, no way you could possibly, make you know, that. he owns a T-Rex skull, a skull. No, that's yes. very cool. Yes. Yes. Man, to be yes. Nick Cage. Yep. 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 All right. So let's tackle. Um, Hold on. We got one more. We got one more. Oh, I missed Yes, it. we do. This was uh, from Mitch at Lloyd Vance 86 outside of gay and Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Who do you think that makes the biggest oh, impact yeah. from this draft class UDFA in the future? Uh, I think Legereus Sneed. What do you think? Man, I'm a huge Legereus Sneed fan. Uh, between he and Willie Gay, I think they're both going to be instant no, no, impact no, no. defenders you can't, you can't oh outside of gay and ceh okay i yeah. thought he i thought he was just Clyde. um then yeah then legerious neat i think he was um a, a slam dunk pick there uh okay so now we've got ian freeman at the philosophy and asked us how would you rank all 22 positions in order of importance austin and i kind of talked about this one and we would do more tiers than ranking one through 22 um but we'll start with the easiest one which is the quarterback and it's tier by itself 
Yeah, and vastly far high above all the other tiers. If you've got a good quarterback, a great quarterback, then, you know, the other positions don't matter as much. We're going to see that when we get towards the bottom of these tiers because the Chiefs, frankly, had some pretty poor performance in some of these bottom tiers, and they won the Super Bowl. So what would you say that next tier below quarterback is? This one's kind of a hard one for me because, obviously, the second most important tier, there's a lot of positions that I wanted to kind of lump in there. Yeah, yeah. I think outside play is on both sides of the lines or both offense and defense on the outside. So you've got the outside of the line with the tackles versus the edge rushers and the outside of the wide receivers versus the cornerbacks. I think that group of four, it's just um, that's where the big plays happen. That's where the sacks happen. That's where the long touchdown passes happen. That's kind of where you can break a game wide open. And if you have elite talent on the outside, you are in great shape. Yeah, I mean, I think when when you're talking about, obviously, outside play, one of the things that kind of sets that apart is you typically are not getting a lot of help in those matchups, right? Like, it's typically going to be, now a cornerback can have, you know, help from the safety over the top or whatever it is. You know, you can chip uh, an edge rusher with the tight end or whatever it would be, you know, the running back, whatever. Uh, But typically, those matchups are going to be more one-on-one. There's going to be less you know, schemed help to help in a tackle versus an edge rusher or cornerback versus a wide receiver. So those are the ones where individual talent makes a huge difference. Obviously your ability to win your matchup one-on-one, whether it be an edge rusher against a tackle or a wide receiver against a cornerback. So I kind of lump all four of those together. Now, obviously within that tier, you know, you can make an argument for, you know, left tackle is more important than right tackle. Uh, Typically left tackle is going to be protecting the quarterback's blind side, you know, edge rusher same kind of deal cornerbacks wide receivers you know where they line up cornerback especially you know obviously with the nickel cornerback slot cornerback versus an outside cornerback but yep uh i think that tier for me i feel pretty comfortable with kind of lumping all of those in together and then for me i don't know if you you disagree with this but for me then i had kind of more up the middle but i think there is a, a pretty clear tier break there for me at least and i think that is defensive line so you know defensive tackle um and then safety play. And I think this this ranking, I might have done this a little bit differently had the Chiefs not just won the Super Bowl, <laughs> in large part because of their interior rushers yeah. and their safeties. But I really do think something that we've seen, you know, really since Aaron Donald established himself as kind of the first guy that you think, I mean, probably one of the first players ever, I'd have to go back and pull the numbers to lead the league in sacks from the interior position. Aaron Donald almost almost set the NFL record yes. as an interior rusher. He almost sacks, won MVP. I mean, which is, was, which is unbelievable. Yeah. So obviously I do think, and then we have, you know, kind of our own version of that. And Chris Jones, who's obviously a tremendously impactful player at a position that I think, you know, as the game is always changing and the athletes that play the game are always getting better. And I think safety and defensive line, both are positions that sort of have, benefited from you know some more athleticism in recent years some more dynamic athletes at those positions yeah uh the the chiefs with the safeties for sure i mean like you could make an argument for the chiefs scheme and how they like to play that safety is a much more important position than cornerback and they have better players at safety so we have safety in a lower tier but you know they almost thumb their noses at the idea that cornerbacks are more important than safeties because you know our cornerback group we pay like you know, we're ranked 30th or whatever in positional spending and our safeties. I'm sure we're right near the top. So that's kind of what I had as my next tier. Where do you want to go after that? Yeah. Um, I, I like that. I might put 
I might slide safety down a little bit and instead slot it in with interior offensive line. But, um, and that's just, to me, it's more based on protection than it is on running. I mean, obviously it's important for both, but I think pass protection, if you're going to be a, a top tier NFL team, I just think you need to have a clean pocket or at least as much of one as you can provide at any time. And that's fair. Um, and I just, I think that with a weak interior line, you're going to get bull rushed by a lot of these, like you were talking about superstar nose tackles and defensive tackles. And, um, I know I feel great when I'm watching a, a team that has really solid line play. So that being said, um, I also think about when you have superstars, where do you see the superstars impact the game the most? And, um, superstar safeties are ballers. I mean, yes. between, you know, Eric Berry and Ed Reed and Honey Badger and all those guys, they, they fly around. They, they like Pat likes to say, they fly around and make plays. And uh, <laughs> so, so instead of maybe I'm just going to nitpick here, instead of sliding safety down to pull the interior offensive lineup, I'm just going to put D line interior offensive line and safety in that third tier of important players. Yeah. And obviously with safety and cornerback too, you're, when you're talking about defensive backs, there's obviously so many different things you can do with them. You know, what a free safety is being asked to do is very different from what a strong safety might be or a box safety might be being asked to do, or, you know, playing nickel corner, you know, a lot of times your safety is going to slide in and play nickel corner in certain personnel groupings too. So, you know, Tyron did quite a bit of that last year and then also played quite a bit of, you know, box safety and also played quite a bit of free safety. I mean, he's playing all over the place, right? So he obviously is an immensely valuable player, even though safety is one of those positions that typically isn't maybe as highly valued. So tight end is kind of an interesting one. I had it slotted in kind of around this interior offensive line tier. It's probably a little bit below interior offensive line to me, but it's one of those things where obviously the, the position has changed so much in the last 20 years. You know, we lament this as fantasy players quite often is that like not everybody uses tight ends the same way. There are teams that do not split their tight end out wide and don't use them as receiver. And then you have teams like the chiefs, who use Kelsey primarily often, you know, as, as a big slot split out wide, obviously he, he lines up in line and blocks too, and he is a tight end, but you know, the, the trend with Tony Gonzalez, Jimmy Graham, you know, Gronk, Gronk offering Gronk and Kittle, you know, maybe offering a little bit more, maybe as blockers, but obviously the way teams use their tight ends. Um, I think a guy like Kelsey or a guy like Kittle, I think those guys are immensely valuable. And I think if you were to just look on a player by player basis, there are some tight ends that are immensely valuable players, but it's hard to kind of say that the position as a whole carries a ton of value because there's only like two or three of those guys in the league at any given time. Right. So I don't know. As is often the case, I had the exact same thought. Um, It was tight end as a position doesn't feel important because there aren't a lot of good ones. And it's just, when they're good, they're great, and they have an immediate and insane impact on the game, and they can straight up dominate. But I feel that if the position was important to succeed in the NFL, you would have a lot more of them. And maybe part of that is just because you have to almost be an absolute freak of nature to be a good NFL tight end, because you have to be bigger, you know, bigger than the DBs, faster than the linebackers. You kind of have to be that matchup nightmare in order to be a superstar tight end. And that's just asking a lot of 
of human genetics, basically. And uh, I just don't think that tight end, while while the superstars are insane, the position, eh, I can take it or leave it. So that leaves us with essentially two, two position more. groups. Yep. Linebackers and running backs. I have linebackers as being more important than running backs, but as I heard a wise man, I wish I could remember who said this, but I saw a tweet during the draft that basically said linebackers are the running backs of the defense. I want to get that <laughs> printed on a bumper sticker or something because it just cracked me up. Uh, you know, what's funny about that though, and I made this point on Twitter, you know, like it's weird that you see a guy like, and I, I kind of, I wanted to talk about this in my article that I wrote. I, I wanted to go a billion different directions with it, but it's weird to me when people criticize the Clyde Edwards Lair pick, uh, which I kind of ended up defending a little bit. Um, it's weird to me that people seem to prize versatility so much when you're talking about defensive players, a guy like uh, the guy that the Cardinals took Isaiah Simmons, yeah. who really is like a hybrid safety slash linebacker. And we just talked about how, relative to I mean we have safety and linebacker as like the two least valuable defensive positions right Mm -hmm. but if you have a guy that can play both of them suddenly he's a top 10 draft pick you know he's he's obviously an athletic freak at the position but if you've got a guy that can do both of those things suddenly he's he's very valuable and it's weird to me that that same logic doesn't necessarily apply to offensive players particularly running backs but linebacker does yeah well, I mean, it does. you it know, does. Christian McCaffrey is yes, the most true. valuable running back in football. And yeah. he is that valuable, not because he's a great running back, but because he's versatile. Yeah, that's true. Uh, linebacker, I have as being a little bit more important than running back. Here's, here's my proof that linebacker isn't very important. It's a very simple proof. Last year, the Chiefs might legitimately have had the worst linebacker core in the entire NFL. Like, you could make a very compelling argument for that being the case. In fact, it might be harder to make the case that they didn't have the worst linebacker core sure. in the NFL. And they won the Super Bowl. Mm. And their defense was still pretty good. Like, it was a definitely like a top 15 defense. I think they were seventh in scoring defense, 14th in defensive DVOA. And this despite having terrible atrocious linebacker play for most of the year so so when you win the championship and you have a really bad position that position's probably not very important yeah it's probably not very important it's probably not very important and the same logic applies to the linebackers of the offense the running back position because the chiefs basically invested nothing at, at running back last year yeah they actually had pretty spotty interior <laughs> offensive line play and a lot of injuries to the running back position and they won the super bowl mm. obviously Obviously, Damian in the playoffs uh, really performed pretty well. Although, you know, I mean, you know, he hit some holes and he he did what he was supposed to do. He got what was blocked. You know, there was a play where he ran a little wheel route in the Super Bowl where he he should have been looking for the ball and it should have been a touchdown. Yes. And the Chiefs ended up settling for a field goal there. Yes. He should have caught that ball. I mean, that was a big miss. Damian yeah. Williams' numbers look good and he he's a decent player. He definitely has his moments, but you know, I mean, and that's also too, just a corollary to that. That's where adding a guy like Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I think can make, can move the needle, uh, even though we don't feel like it's a very high impact position, but, but what do you want to, what do you want to say about running backs, Taylor? What, what slander do you want to lay on the running backs? Running backs don't matter. Boom. Boom. Roasted. Uh, running backs are the bottom tier there. You can plug anybody in. You got a good line. They look good. You got a bad line. They look bad. Um, if they're good, eh, 
it's it's whatever. They're the least important position on the field. There's a reason that the analytics committee or community doesn't say linebackers don't matter as their mantra. It's running backs don't matter. So running backs don't matter at all. Um, and we now have uh, a, a always sunny related question from Jordan Scarin at MRJ1128. And he <laughs> asked us, when you rewatch Sunny, do you have specific episodes that you watch? Um, Austin and I have a lengthy list of episodes that we would consider to be in our top, you know, rewatchable episodes. Um, I do think I try and bounce around when I can because I love catching jokes from episodes that I haven't seen in a long time and right. you know, recracking me up. But if I like am thinking about popping on Sunny right now, I do think that the first one that comes to my mind is the favorite my favorite episode gang wrestles for the troops. That's probably yes. the most rewatched episode that I have. Yeah. We're in agreement there. We both have wrestles for the troops as our top episode. It just has so many compelling side narratives and characters, and it just is hilarious. There's so many great one-liners in there. Roddy Piper as the maniac oh, RIP. He's, he's, he's terrific. So he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's for sure is one like any other thing, you know, like having a favorite band or, or anything else like, I go in cycles. Um, I I went through a phase where I just could not stop rewatching Mac and Dennis Manhunters, Man. which is a great episode. Where I'm I'm not even joking. Like there were a couple of times where I watched it multiple times in a single day. Where I would be like, <laughs> I'm gonna watch I've never this. Done that. That's I'm gonna amazing. watch this again right now, which I don't think I've ever done with any other episode. Um, That's great. But yeah, there there obviously there are so many good ones. Like you said, though, I mean, it is nice to like hop around and. You know, eventually I did, unfortunately, it was probably was when I started watching it more than once in a day that I wore Manhunters out, you know, like yeah. I, I burned Manhunters out. Now I could go back and watch Manhunters and, and really enjoy it again because it's been a while since I've kind of watched it. But yeah, sometime we're going to have to do like a, we're going to have to do like a sunny draft. We should do a sunny draft. We should do a sunny draft. We should draft our top 10 sunny episodes. That's, That's competitive. So It'll get our juices flowing. Every pick will be like such a, oh. a heartbreaker, oh. you know. But, but, you know, we might we might have some sleepers in there, though. Like, I know, like, our top three or four, there would be some heartbreakers in there for sure. Well, but And much like the Pat plays, when the other guy drafts a couple plays that you really like or a couple episodes that you really like, you still have a sea of great episodes to pick from. That's you true. Still, you know, it's more going to be like, oh, great picks. Yes, those episodes are amazing. I would have gone with those there. Like, it's just, it's going to be, I think that's a great idea. So that was off the cuff. We hadn't talked about that until now, but we for sure are going to do that. Um, Maybe we could do that next week with... Our final mailbag question, which we're not going to get to tonight because this episode's already been super long, but this is such a good question, and we love drafting so much, so much. that we're going to nail this next week as part of our next week's episode. James Partridge at Fun and James 85 asked us to draft our top five non-Mahomes plays of 2019. They could be running plays, defense special teams, or Matt Moore plays. I did come up with a list, but it wasn't exhaustive. Now I have yeah. a week to prepare. Yeah. We're going to tackle this next week. Are we also going to draft sunny episodes next week? Let's I think it. next week we just draft. Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to draft sunny episodes. We're going to draft non-pat plays. It's going to be good. Well, maybe, maybe we can find one other thing to draft. We should just overload the whole draft thing. Maybe we can, like, draft matchups or something like that. You know, something something fun from the 2020 schedule. I don't know. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll come up with something. Thank you, everybody who contributed to this mailbag. We got a ton of great questions. We appreciate everybody that's been listening. I don't know that we do 
a good enough job of uh, communicating our gratitude to everybody that listens to our show. We love you guys. Uh, it really has been awesome. It's been such a great opportunity for us. Obviously, it's been like, I don't know, two months since we started this thing and we're podcasting for Sports Illustrated and we've got uh, lots of people contributing questions and it's great. It's awesome. So hit us up on Twitter for future mailbags, everything like that. And uh, we'll catch you next time.